Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. All right, everybody. Welcome to Revolution. We uh, had some technical difficulties, but we got new batteries now, so we're good to go. So glad you're here on this holiday weekend. Um, I've got the kiddos all for a long weekend. My wife is on a trip with her sisters for in Palm Springs, which is one of my favorite places in the world, so I'm super jealous. Um, <laughs> something else to be jealous about my future ex-wife. Great. Um, <laughs> isn't life grand? Uh, but you know what? We have beautiful weather here. And I've been all week with the kids. We went bowling yesterday, and um, it was a lot of fun. Um, theology. Constantly changing, but sometimes I return to some things. And so I brought, I won't be reading from the Bible today. I'll be reading from the other Bible, Paul Tillich's Shaking the Foundations, a collection of his sermons, which if you ever want to get into Paul Tillich, there's three books of his sermons, and I recommend all of them because his regular books are very hard to digest. Um, if you, You've only had to read like 500 different scholars, and then you'll understand his books. Um, I'm reading Caputo, John Caputo right now, who loves Tillich, but also disagrees with Tillich in some ways, which is weird for me because Tillich was kind of a a bridge to me into radical theology, which I'm still trying to understand, but it's been a fun shift. And uh, I've been talking about to my buddy Pete Rollins about doing, um, he does pyrotheology, which is close to radical theology, and doing an introduction book. I keep pushing and pushing and pushing him. And I've got, I think we have some great ideas, so hopefully it'll happen. I'm really fingers crossed. Um, so, Grace in a Time of Doubt is the name of this t- sermon. Often I do my sermons and then title them, um, but I pulled an ACDC move here, and I just titled my sermon first. Because I think ACDC titles their songs first <laughs> and then writes them. <laughs> um, but there is a verse here, and it's Romans 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. Um, Tillich here says, there are few words, I've, re- I've actually read this whole sermon for a service once. I just read the whole sermon because it was never recorded, so I recorded it myself in a German accent because he was German. There are few words more strange to most of us than sin and grace. They are strange just because they are so well known. During the centuries, they have received distorting connotations and have lost so much of their genuine power that we must seriously ask ourselves whether we should use them at all or whether we should discard them as useless tools. Now, just to let you know, he goes on and says we can't discard them. But that's part of it. Um, Let's talk a little bit about sin. 
Um, it's weird preaching from somebody else's sermon, but I'm going to try to work it out today. Um, and you should see the notes I had to take for a book that I've already marked up. So I really had to write in code. One day they will find this and it will be the J. Baker code instead of the Da Vinci code. I remember my dad was like, about the Da Vinci Code. I go in a lot of rabbit holes. Here's a rabbit hole for you. And he's like, I don't know, son, if we should see that. And I'm like, Dad, it's fiction. It's got a murder mystery in it. We should go. And he's like, well, maybe we could go together. So sometimes my dad likes to likes to compromise for me. That's nice. Um, compromise. You know, it's a very good friend of mine. <laughs> Have the men of our time, which he's just all about using male male uh, pronouns. <laughs> so, you know, it's the 1960s, I think, when he's writing this. So, have the, I, I one time changed the pronouns and did a quote with, and changed the pronouns in his quote. And, I mean, I had this, like, theologian just come after me. Like, Tillich would never have written such a thing. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, leave me alone. Have the men of our time still feeling the meaning of sin? Do they and do we still realize that sin does not mean a moral act? Do you hear that? Sin does not mean an immoral act. That sin should never be used in the plural. And that not our sins, but rather our sin is the great all-pervading problem of our life. Do we still know that it is arrogant and erroneous to divide men by calling some sinners and other righteous. Pretty cool, right? That's why I'm just reading it for you. For by way such division, we can usually discover that we ourselves do not quite belong in the sinners, sinners since we have avoided heavy sins and have made some progress and can control this, or that our sin and have been even humble enough not to call ourselves righteous. Are we still able to realize that this kind of thinking and feeling about sin is far removed from what the great religious tradition both within and outside the Bible has meant when we speak of sin? I should like to suggest another word to use, not as a substitute for the word sin, but as a useful clue in the interpretation of the word sin, separation. Separation is an aspect of experience of everyone Perhaps the word sin has the same root as the word asunder. In any case, sin is separation. To be in the state of sin is to be in a state of separation. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this because I deal with my own mental health issues and different things like that. But I also deal with just living life on life's terms. And living a life of separation is just often what life is. Separating from your human being. Sometimes self-hate separates ourselves from who we really are. And then sometimes hate for others separates us from who we are. And we lose the touch of who we really are. And that's all sin is, is brokenness and separation. It's not this, like, list of do's and don'ts. You know, people want it to be. Evangelicals have had tradition of it being, you know, we have a good list of sins here, um, if I was an Assemblies of God preacher, I would not be sitting here right now because I'm on my second divorce. Um, is there sin in those divorces? Yep, you bet. You know why? 
because there's separation and brokenness of humanity. It's just what it is. You know, so it's not, it's not this like evil devil, it's so bad. You know, it's just the reality of life that we live in. You know, I used to really not like the idea of um, original sin until I realized it was separation and brokenness. And then I realized, what do I have in common with every human being? What do I have in common with Jerry Falwell? Separation and brokenness. He might not admit that, or admitted it, I guess. Rest in peace. Um, But that's something. What do I share with, with my dad when we talk on the phone? Brokenness. I don't like his selling Donald Trump coins. I don't think that's cool or, you know, whatever. Um, I have actually had a friends, a couple friends asked me to get them one, ironically. And I think I'm just going to ask my dad to send me a ton so I have all my Christmas shopping done <clears throat> for my in-laws. Um, but I'm also a comedian. Um, I, I do, I do... I do get better here in a second. I'm preaching from another man's sermon. 157. Did I skip 150? Uh, 156. For other people, grace indicates that a gift that one has received from nature or society and the power to do good things with the help of those gifts. Okay, you get that? That's what some people see grace. People used to ask me what grace was, and I was always like, it's a free gift. It's unmerited favor, you know, and it's all this stuff. Um, Now I see grace in such a different way. Now, the reason I want to harp on grace is is because I want to let you know that grace will always be a consistent presence in revolution. It will always be a consistent in this church, whether it's a church or a collective. I've tempted with changing the name of church to something else. I don't know. Me and Pete are talking about it. Um, we'll see what happens. He definitely thinks we need to make the logo 3D, though. <laughs> the really important stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but grace is more than a gift. In grace, something is overcome. Grace occurs in spite of. Right? Grace incurs in spite of. We're going to get really good about this grace thing. We're really going to talk about this grace thing today. Grace incurs in spite of something. Grace incurs in spite of separation and estrangement. Now, it doesn't say it fixes it. It says it incurs in spite of. It just happens. I should have brought the lyrics to Bono's U2 song Grace because it's really good but I, I probably wouldn't have enough time to do, read the whole thing. Grace incurs in spite of separation and estrangement. Grace is reunion of life with life. We did a sermon a few weeks ago. I did a sermon a few weeks ago or talk. I'm trying to call them talks rather than sermons. I did a talk a few weeks ago about Jesus and the woman caught in adultery and Jesus with the woman who came and washed his feet. And the, the, the Pharisees were like, oh, she's a dirty woman. She's a whore, blah, blah, blah. And Jesus was converting her to humanity. Not to Christianity. It didn't exist. But he was humanizing her in front of all these people. 
He was doing the same thing with the woman caught in the midst of adultery, whether that story really happened or not. By ye without sin cast the first stone, he was saying, we are all humans. This is a conversion to humanity. And I believe that that's what conversion truly is, is us realizing humanity. And that's what grace is. It transforms us. Grace transforms fate into meaningful destiny. It changes guilt into confidence and courage. There is something triumphant in the word grace. In spite of the abounding sin, grace bounds much more. Pretty good, right? But the best part is that but grace is more than a gift. In grace, something is overcome. Grace occurs in spite of something. Grace occurs in spite of separation and estrangement. Um, grace is got no wholeness. Uh, is no whole, great. There is no wholeness. All there is is brokenness and dissatisfaction. In grace, because grace is there to give, to be there for that, to let you have that, to be in that. I mean, we're going to nail that in. We're going to nail the, put the nail in the coffin here in a second. See if I can read my secret coding down here. 157 lines. Okay. We realize then much more than in a moment of solitude how strange we are to each other. How estranged life is from life. I mean, think about how we treat each other. LGBTQ, straight, gay, bi, transgender, Generation X, uh, what is, black and white. What's the new generation? Uh, millennials and, you know, I mean, I even find the differences, all these differences, black and white, poor and wealthy. Um, how strange we are to each other. How estranged life is from life. Each one of us draws back into themselves. We cannot penetrate the hidden center of another individual marriage nor can the individual pass beyond the shroud that covers our own being even the greatest love cannot break through the walls of the self who has not experienced the disillusionment of all great love um there is something in the misfortune of our best friends. This is funny, kind of change gears here. Talk a little bit about sin. There is something in the misfortune of our best friends which does not displease us. Morrissey has a song that says, we hate it when our friends become famous. <laughs> um, who among us, if dishonest enough to deny that the tr- this is true also of him? Are we not almost always ready to abuse everybody and everything? Although often in very refined ways. I love that. This guy's on the money, right? For the pleasure of self-evaluation, for an occasion for boasting, for a moment of lust, to know that we are ready to know the meaning of separation of life from life and sin abounding. All right, this is where we get into some deep stuff, guys. Are you ready? Come with me. I'm going to do a lot of comments on this in a minute, so I hope you're ready and buckled in. Um, I have to actually read a last part here. 
the madness of the German Nazis and the cruelty. Let me write, think I'm writing the right, the right line here. Oh, nope, sorry. Oh, separation. Sorry, guys. I take bad notes. Life moves against life through aggression, hate, and despair. We want to condemn self-love, but what we really mean is to condemn contrary to self-love. It is that mixture of selfishness and self-hate that permanently pursues us, that prevents us from loving others, that prohibits us from losing ourselves in the love with which we are loved eternally. He who is able to love themselves is able to love others also. He who has learned to overcome self-contempt, which I wish I could, I mean, I'm my own worst enemy, has overcome his contempt for others. But the depth of our separation lies in just the fact that we are not capable of great and merciful divine love towards ourselves. You know, we're unable to give ourselves grace. We're unable to give ourselves that divine love that we need. So it's hard for us to give that divine That's why everybody's scapegoating each other. Um, I was going to use this a few minutes ago for one of the other examples, but I've realized there's issues with the right and issues with the left. And I've been talking a lot about that lately. I'm not letting anybody off the hook. Okay? We're going to be one big family and sing Kumbaya together one day. Um, (laughs) We're going to hold hands and cross America one more time. Um, But I was talking, I did this tweet yesterday, and I said, me, man, this has been a really horrible year. Them, why is your dad making those Trump coins? Then I wrote, me, dot, dot, dot. You know, like, my life's falling apart. Hey, why is your dad selling those Trump coins? Okay. Now, that's my liberal friends. Now, let's go back to 2000 and I think seven is when my mom passed away. I have it tattooed on my chest. So sometimes, sometimes I have to look at tattoos for scripture references. And one is really bad because they put the wrong scripture reference on there. Don't worry, I got it really blacked over. So, yeah, I know. Um, I'm gonna, I should have the whole book of Galatians tattooed on my leg. I know somebody who does fine line work now, so maybe I will. <laughs> $10,000 later. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I'll buy him a house. Um, but the other thing is, is back in 2007, or earlier, I came out as affirming, I think it was earlier, um, from LGTQ brothers and sisters and said, you know, I don't think it's a sin to be gay. And, um, but at the same exact time, my mom's cancer came back, stage four, and they said, you know, your mom's not going to make it. So I talked a lot about that. And the reception I got was, my mom's I have cancer, me, them, how can you say it's not a sin to be gay? Do you see the thing there? 
the disconnect, you know, my liberal friends, why is your dad making coins? I'm falling apart. Um, you know, my cons- more conservative friends, you know, my mom's dying. How can you affirm gay people? You know, it's like we're missing the point. There's a separation there. The separation that, that Tillich's talking about, there's a separation. And how often do we do this pe- to people all the time? You know? And we scapegoat them and we shame them and they, they lose their lives often. You know? I've even found it hard for me when, and I've had to defend friends that I know and been in their own personal situations and then some shaming happened to them online and I knew that it wasn't, the facts weren't completely there and I stood up and it cost me a little bit of my career because the majority disagreed even though they weren't in it and didn't know the people. And I lost a lot of friends. And it wasn't even a connection. It wasn't me. It was just me saying, oh, no, I know the situation. This isn't what it is. And people going like, how can you? you know, nothing for life experience. That was the liberal side. But I realized the same as with the conservative side as we don't respect life's experience because we're separated from it. We just want to hear what we want to hear. We want to hear what the masses have to say. I love that Kurt is helping take care of my kids right now. That is great. If you can handle the uh, legislation, that's easy, right? (laughs) It's almost the same. Um, Kurt does a lot for uh, cannabis rights and helpfully going to make it much easier to be a medication here in Minnesota and eventually the United States. So I I really love his work and what he's doing. Um, But he has to deal with a lot of legislators. And it's fun to talk to him late at night after he's been all day at at the, where is it, the Capitol? Yeah. And him just being like, this is insane. And they meet till 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. Once again, separation from reality. Um, where was I? Our separation lies just in the fact that we are not capable of the great and merciful divine love towards ourselves. In our tendency to abuse and destroy others, there is an open or hidden tendency to abuse and destroy ourselves. Cruelty towards others is always cruelty towards ourselves. Anybody who's ever been caught up in legalism, I think, knows that fact. Because the legalistic goes home at night and lays in bed and goes, I'm awful. I don't add up. When I first understood grace... I used to think, before I understood it, I used to think God hated me. I literally thought God made one mistake, and that was me, because for some reason I couldn't fulfill all the obligations. And I wanted to be a minister so bad, but I couldn't do it. So I decided to give up God and hope that I could have a deathbed conversion. That was my theology. Hopefully I won't, like, you know die getting hit in the hit in the road and die suddenly hopefully I'll be on the bed going like Jesus forgive me for <laughs> this life like I used to when I was drunk on the toilet making deals with man I made so many deals with God that I would never drink again that'll probably be our first conversation <laughs> well Jay we made about 72 deals about you never drinking again you remember those um yeah 
So you're going to have to spend at least uh, 180 years in purgatory. That's okay. That's my people. That's Minnesota. It's not bad. Not great. Minnesota. <laughs> so maybe, that, maybe I'm in purgatory right now. And I don't even know it. Um, no knock on my Minnesota lovers here. Um, 158, 159, cruelty. So that's our cruelty towards ourselves is cruelty towards others. And someone like MLK saw that. And he, and he spoke a lot about that. It's like when we are hurting others, we're hurting ourselves. I think that's why the neo-Calvinist movement really always fails. You know, it always knocks in the head because there's such this thing that we're awful, we're horrible, and God only chooses certain people, and even the chosen people feel like they're awful and horrible and scumbags. Um, that's my opinion. Please tweet me. All my Calvinist brothers who used to fight me on Twitter really brought up my... my yeah, whatever. <laughs> my followers, yeah. <laughs> Put me back on the, what is the thing called? Yeah, trending. Um, 160, we skip. 161. All right, this is the whole page of 161. You ready? I hope, you got, I hope it's okay that I read this book today. If it was the Bible, everybody would be fine with it, but it's another person's sermon, so you might feel weird. Do we know what it means to be struck by grace? It does not mean that we are suddenly believe that God exists. All right, I could end there and we could go home. All right, because that's where we've been going lately, right? Last week we were saying, God, free me from God. And this week we're saying, do we know that it means to be struck by grace? It does not mean that we suddenly believe that God exists or that Jesus is the Savior, or that the Bible contains the truth. To believe that something is, is almost contrary to the meaning of grace. You are accepted is the name of this sermon, and you can Google it, and it'll come up. It's, it's free to the public, so read this whole sermon when you get a chance. To believe that something is, is almost contrary to the meaning of grace. Furthermore, grace does not mean simply that we are making progress in our moral self-control, in our fight against special faults, and in other relationships to men, to sociality. Moral progress may be fruit of grace, but it is not grace itself, and it can even prevent us from receiving grace, for there is too often graceless acceptance of Christian doctrine. On both sides, folks. Social justice warriors often turn on themselves. That's why I have such a hard time with my liberal brothers and sisters, and I'm a liberal, okay? And I'm a social justice warrior in ways. But that we turn on ourselves and try to out-social justice each other. And there's no room for growth. No patience. We've got to have patience for people to grow and change. If, they w- if we want them to come along for the journey. It's too often graceless acceptance of Christian doctrine and graceless battle against the structure of evil in our personalities. Such a graceless relation to God may lend us by necessity either to arrogance 
or despair? And I'd say both. It would be better to refuse God and Christ in the Bible than to accept them without grace. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it again. It would be better to refuse God and the, and the Christ and the Bible than to accept them without grace. How many preachers do you think would agree with that right now preaching on Sunday morning? Hopefully a lot, but I don't know. Because everybody just wants you to get Jesus. But they forget that we have to have this thing called grace. For if we accept it without grace, we do so in the state of separation and can only succeed in depending on separation. We cannot transform our lives unless we allow them to be transformed by that stroke of grace. It happens or it does not happen. And certainly it does not happen if we try to force it upon ourselves. Just as it shall, be, shall not happen so long as we think in our self-compliancy that we have no need of it. Grace strikes us when we are in great pain. At restlessness, it strikes us when we walk through the dark valley of meaninglessness and empty life. It strikes us when we feel that our separation is deeper than usual because we have violated another life a life which we loved or from which we were estranged. It strikes us when we are disgust for our own being, our indifference, our weakness, our hostility, and our lack of direction and composure have become intolerable to us. It strikes us when year after year the longing for perfection and life does not appear. You hear that? When the old compulsions reign within us, for they have for decades, when despair destroys all joy and courage. Now this is probably going to be my favorite part that we read here about grace. I have really I wrote a book. Um, what was my second book called? Does anybody remember? Um, Fall to Grace. Not fall from grace, but fall to grace. It was kind of a play off a TV movie they made about my parents called Fall from Grace. And, um, and yeah, now we have some new Jim and Tammy Baker movies being produced. Two of them. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Maybe I'll get another book deal. Fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> those two kids aren't free, by the way. Something at the moment, a wave of light breaks into our darkness. Now listen to this. And it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted, you are accepted by that which greater than you and a name which you do not know. Do not ask for that name now. Hear this, folks. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Hear that. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek for anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. Stop trying. Cut it out. Just be. 
I have to be in my brokenness. I have to shed my tears. I have to be. My God has not come down and intervened with a magic wand and changed me. God has not come down and said, Oh, Jay, it's time to be over the divorce. Here you go. The pain can go away now. You've learned your lesson. I actually prayed that prayer a week or two ago and said, I was in the shower and I was crying. And I said, God, I think I've learned my lesson. Can we stop now? I'm ready to move on. It was desperation. You know, I'm crying, in the shower, please, God. You know, (laughs) if you want a reenactment. Please take away this. I'm done. I've learned my lesson. You know? Uh, uh, uh. Um, I just simply have to accept the fact that I'm accepted. And I'm going to read some Pete Rollin quotes here in a minute that really nail this down, too. So I'm going to get Tillich and Rollins today. It's just a great day. If this happens to us, we experience grace. After such an experience, listen to this, we may not be better than before, and we may not believe more than before, but everything is transformed. In the moment, grace conquers sin, and reconciliation bridges the gulf of estrangement, and nothing is demanded of the experience no religious or moral intellectual presumptions, nothing but acceptance. Now, some people would say this is tickling ears. This man was on the cover of Time magazine as one of the greatest theologians who's ever lived. He's definitely one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, and he was a very complicated person, and he had a lot of faults. As everyone else does, he was very human. But he's also kicked out of Germany by Hitler, which is pretty cool. Um, in light of this grace, we perceive the power of grace. In light of this grace, we perceive the power of grace in our relation to others and to ourselves. We experience the grace of being able to look frankly into the eyes of another. The miraculous grace of reunion of life with life. Now, this type of grace, this type of grace is what I hope for in reconciliation as I co-parent. This is the grace that I hope for thy reconciliation with people online. With people who are conservative. With Trump supporters. We experience this grace of being able to look frankly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We experience this grace of understanding each other's words. You know, by the grace go I. Um, we understand that not merely the literal meaning of the words, but also that which lies behind them, even when they are harsh and angry. This is what grace allows us to do. We can see people's pain. We can empathize even with the hurt and angry. Those who feel disenfranchised. For even there is a longing to break through the walls of separation. We experience the grace of being able to accept the life of another. Even if honestly and har- even 
we experience the grace of being able to accept the life of another, even it be hostile and harmful to us. For though through grace we know that we belong to the same ground in which we belong and by which we have been accepted, life and humanity. We experience the grace which is able to overcome the tragic separation of the sexes, of the generations, of the nations, of the races, and even the utter strangeness between man and nature. Sometimes grace appears in all these separations to reunite us with those to whom we belong, for life belongs to life. If you don't like this, blame Tillich. If you like it, just be like, oh, I'm so glad Jay's reading it. And in the light of this grace, we perceive the power of grace in our relation to ourselves. We experience moments in which we accept ourselves because we feel that we have been accepted by that which is greater than we. If only more such moments were given to us. For it is such a moment that we make us love our life and that make us accept ourselves. Not in our goodness and our self-compliancy, but in our certainty and eternal meaning of our life. We cannot force ourselves to accept ourselves. Can't do it. I'm trying. We cannot compel anyone to accept themselves. But sometimes it happens that we receive the power to say yes to ourselves. That peace enters into us and makes us whole. That self-hatred and self-contempt disappear. And that our self is reunited with itself. Then we can say that grace has come upon us. And I like the way he ends this because it's the way it began. Sin and grace are strange words, but they are not strange things. We find them whenever we look into ourselves with searching eyes and longing hearts. They determine our life. They abound within us and all of life. May grace be more abundant with us. Um, one of the, I wanted to reread something, but I can't see them to find it. Um, I want to just read this one more time. It would be better to refuse God and the grace of the Bible than to accept them without grace. I wanted to hammer that one in and I wanted to hammer this one in. Sometimes at the moment a wave of light breaks into darkness and it is as though a voice were saying, you are accepted, you are accepted, accepted by that which is greater than you and a name which is you do not know. And this is what I want you to hear. So really listen to this. Do not ask for the name now. Perhaps you will find it later. Do not try to do anything now. Perhaps later you will do much. Do not seek anything. Do not perform anything. Do not intend anything. Simply accept the fact that you are accepted. This is radical, the roots of radical theology, the roots of radical belief. You're accepted. Nothing may change. My life has not gotten easier. I have preached grace for a long time. I have understood it differently in a lot of ways. I've under, read this sermon for over, I mean, I've read this sermon probably over 20 years. As a matter of fact, 
when my Fall to Grace book went into paperback, I had a portion of this sermon in the back. When it went to paperback and I realized that it was um, open to anybody to use, I put the whole sermon in. And that's how I ended my book. So to say the least, I like this. It's up there with Galatians. Um, Grace is counterintuitive to a lot of people. I've seen people mock grace quite a bit. You know, like, oh, don't worry, you're forgiven now. You know, you're the person in prison that killed a bunch of people. Oh, you got grace, now you're forgiven. Isn't God great? You know, and like, how is that fair? And people want to be fair and they want justice and this. And sometimes grace doesn't give us justice. Um, But it also doesn't keep cause and effect from happening either. Okay, so grace doesn't protect you from the natural laws of life. But grace is freedom of the need of wholeness. We're all seeking to be whole and complete. Guess what? That's never going to happen. Here's your good news. So grace says you don't have to be whole and complete. You're accepted. Pete said that grace, there is no wholeness. All there is is brokenness and dissatisfaction. (laughs) That seems a little bit dark. Um, Unless you're in those moments. Then it seems like a light of sunshine. Pete Rollins, I also quoted him on this, was, was, was one of the things he said, was grace is freedom from the pursuit of happiness. He talked about rebels in one of his sermons, Pete did, or talks. I'm sure he doesn't like me to call them sermons. Um, in one of his talks about rebels, and he says a rebel can enjoy, this, that, enjoy the dissatisfaction of life and mobilize it. And that's often what social justice is. Is it can sit in that dissatisfaction and then mobilize it and rebel against it and do something to change it. Um, Grace is a a beautiful thing. Um, Grace is a complicated thing and a strange thing. Um... But it's so powerful that it's calling to us, saying, you are accepted. Don't worry about the theology. Don't worry about the rule book. Don't worry about your belief system. You are accepted. But I'm broken and I'm falling apart in this. You are accepted. That's grace. But I don't know if I can quite accept this idea of somebody dying on a cross and then coming back to life three days later. That's really weird. Or being born of a virgin. I don't know if I can accept that. You are accepted. You know? I don't know if there's some high power. You are accepted. Grace is a powerful thing. It was, it's a great gift. 
that's been bestowed upon us that is bigger than anything and bigger than any of us and bigger than any theology or thoughts or rationality or philosophy, grace allows us to sit in these moments. And uh, like you said, perhaps things will change. Perhaps you'll get more. Perhaps you'll believe. Perhaps you won't. Perhaps, I mean, for some people, I see so much grace in their life that they're able to let go completely of their religion and faith and they become greater people and do greater things and find more peace in their life. And that's a little hard for me as a preacher because I want everybody to have Jesus. Um, But I see grace in that. And sometimes the Jesus they're letting go of is a Jesus that I let go of a long time ago anyway. You know, I once had a guy come up to me at a party, and I think I've talked about this before, and said, yeah, I used to believe everything that you believe, and now I don't believe in that shit anymore, and I'm happier than I've ever been. And I said, oh, really, what do you believe? Or what did you believe? I said, where'd you go to church? And then he told me he went to Mark Driscoll's church. And I said, well, I don't believe anything you believed either, and I'm happier than I've ever been. At the time, I was. Um, so it's funny that sometimes we need to be free from that those gods. And God's bigger than all that crap. It's a mystery. It's unknowing. Um, uh, Caputo says... God calls God the unconditional. So, I don't even know what God is anymore. I've been stating that lately. But I like this idea of grace. And I hope we can move in it and learn from it and grow in it. And as I guess I ended the sermon haunting, I'll end this the same way with good luck with that. Um... Revolution, um, this is the pitch here. Go just straight into the freaking pitch. This is a nonprofit, and uh, if you like what you're hearing, and I'd like to say thank you to all the people who've stuck with the church um, through this theological shift, um, you can go to fa- our Facebook page at Revolution Church, and you can hit the donation button there. You can go to revolutionchurch.com and donate there. We're a nonprofit. That's how we survive. Um, I'm working on getting a part-time job right now. Still haven't heard back. Um, but we're just trying to keep this thing going because I think it's important. And uh, I think there's room for theological shifts in communities. And I think that this is a community that's going to be continuously shifting and evolving and moving in different places and maybe very uncomfortable places.